I, uh, I mentioned in our uh, new members class uh, about songs that we sing and how some are upbeat and joyful. There are times that we reflect on the cruel cross and sometimes it calls for sadness and sorrow. But we, always, we never end that, our time in sadness and sorrow, because of the victory that, that took place on that cruel cross. And that ultimately found its victory in the resurrection. But it is, it is good for us because blessed are those who mourn, right? Blessed are those who mourn. And so it is good for us to sense the, the sorrow and the pain of the cross. Uh, Ephesians 2, I'm going to read the first five verses, and we're going to flip over to chapter 5 and read the first two verses, and then we're going to look at our bulletin and read the last paragraph of our church covenant, and then we'll pray. Ephesians 2, verses 1 through 5. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, in verse 4, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. Now, five, chapter 5. Verses 1 and 2. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. And now the bulletin on the back, the final paragraph of our church covenant. And if you don't have one, you can just listen and follow We further endeavor to love one another as Christ loves us, to pray for one another and come to the aid of the brethren in sickness and distress and even in sin. That's not there, but you know it's true. We will work to cultivate Christian sympathy and feeling and Christian courtesy and speech, to be slow to take offense, but always ready for reconciliation and mindful of the rules of our Savior to secure it without delay. Pray with me. Father, we see an incredible task, a lofty command to love one another as Christ has loved us. And so this morning, help us to see the love of Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So, 
this is, well, I say this sermon, but every time that we open the Word collectively, corporately, or individually at home, it's always a activity of looking in the mirror, right? But what we have a tendency to do is to look at the other pew and not the mirror. And so as we move through this this morning, do not focus on someone that needs to hear this because you need to hear this. Look in the mirror this morning. I myself am looking in the mirror. So many times in Scripture, we are commanded to these three words, love one another. But oh, how far are we from this? How far are we from loving one another as God in Christ Jesus has loved us? Now, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven times I found the straightforward command with the words love one another. I'm not going to read all of them, but I want to read some of them. For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. Love one another earnestly from a pure heart. And this is his commandment, that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as he has commanded us. These things I command you so that you will Love one another. Now concerning brotherly love, you have no need for anyone to write to you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another. Above all, keeping love one and keeping love one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. And two more. Love one another with brotherly affection. And finally, may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for, and for all. And so all of those, except for the final one, gives an, an, a strict and exclusive instructions for us to love one another. Meaning, our brothers and sisters in Christ, whom we gather together with and whom we've covenanted with, Yes, the final one says, and for all. But most importantly, for your brothers and sisters here in Ozark's Bible Church, Jesus and his apostles, the Gospels and the New Testament epistles are very clear. That if we are to be seen as followers of Christ, we are to love one another as Christ has loved us. Love one another. What's the big push behind this commandment? Is it not God's love towards us? The reason why we ought to love one another is because God has so loved us. In order to be obedient to that command to love one another, there must be an apprehension, a comprehension, an understanding of the love of God through Jesus Christ. Now we read 1 John earlier. 
in our scripture reading. And just stay where you are in uh, in Ephesians, because we're going to hang there. But let me read again to you a few passages out of that chapter in 1 John. Hear very closely. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and he sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us. And his love is perfected in us. By this is love perfected with us so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment. Because as he is, so also we are in the world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment. And whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. In order to be obedient to the command, I say again, to love one another, we must comprehend the love of God through Jesus Christ towards us. We must understand it through experience. Experiencing the outpouring of the love of God through Jesus Christ. You know, we, when you look at Ephesians and the way Paul writes the letter... He's explained in the first, second, and third chapter what God is doing in bringing people together in Christ. And then in the beginning of chapter 4, He then calls us to bear with one another in love. But you know, before He gives that command, He says, you know what, I better pray to God first. Because they're going to need the power of God. They're going to need to understand the love of God in Jesus Christ if they are then going to be obedient to love one another. And that's what he says in Ephesians 3, beginning in verse 16. In his prayer, in his bowing his knee before the Father, he says that according to the riches of his glory, that being God, that he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. That you being rooted and grounded in love, here it is, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth, the length, the height, and the depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. So you have to understand that Paul had nowhere else to go. But to God to say they need to know this love and I can't just tell it to them because it surpasses knowledge. It's a divine power, a grace that comes down to them. Teach them to know and comprehend the love of Christ. We're going to learn a new song tonight. Uh, The love of God. I don't have that. You know what I do? I have a hymnal right here. 
This tells you how deep and wide the love of God really is. How the depths of it are unsearchable. How we could seek to understand it week by week, day by day, and not once get to the bottom and be like, oh, we're out of the love of God through Jesus Christ. No, it is the very opposite. The hymn we're going to, to, to learn this evening, the last stanza goes like this. Could we with ink the ocean fill and were the skies of parchment made? Were every stalk on earth a quill, a pen, and every man a scribe by trade? So we've got, we fill the ocean with ink. We turn the sky into paper. And we take every tree and turn it into a pen. And we all together want to write the love of God in the sky. It says, to write the love of God above would drain the ocean dry. Nor could the scroll contain the whole. Though stretched from sky to sky. Oh, the breadth and the height and the length and the depth of the love of God in Jesus Christ. We need the Lord to help us to see and understand this. Paul is wanting the Ephesians to know the love of God, to have this comprehension that cannot be gained just through simple knowledge. It's a divine work, and it's an experience. That is experienced by all true children of God through faith in Jesus Christ. Romans and Paul, in Paul, Romans. In Romans, Paul says that for the justified by faith in Christ, they have had the love of God poured into their hearts. Not just made known in their minds, but poured into their hearts through the Spirit of God that is given to us. We know it in more than just like, oh, you know, you know, Jimmy. Yeah, I know Jimmy. I know of him. But I don't really know him. That's what we want. When it comes to the love of Christ, not just, oh, I know of it. It's here. We want to know it here and here. So a question I want to ask this morning is, is your heart overflowing with the love of God in Jesus Christ? Is yours. And I don't, I don't want you to text, tell me the verse that tells, me, tells you that that's true. I want you to consider, do, is your heart overflowing with the love of Christ this morning? Do you know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge? We live at a time, I'm, I'm afraid, where Christianity, especially in our culture, uh, has become robotic and cold and loveless. It's become transactional. Now, that's a tough word to use because there is a transaction that takes place between Jesus and those whom he saves, our sin to him and his righteousness towards us. But I don't mean it in that sense. I mean it in the coldness of just a simple transaction. As if 
going to the bank to withdraw money from the teller. You might know them, the teller, a little bit, right? Their first name, maybe even their spouse. You might know a few details about them. Uh, but there, there's no meaningful relationship with the teller. What You go to the teller because you need money, right? They have what you need. And they're willing to give it to you. It's just business. And you go on with it. And you won't give the teller much mind after that until what? You need some more money. It's transactional. It's business. It's become similar with Christianity. Jesus has something that we want. <laughs> Immortality. Right? Jesus can offer us no more pain. Jesus can offer us mansions and streets of gold. As long as he's given it out, I guess I'll go get some. And it just becomes a cold transaction. There's no meaningful relationship with Christ. It's what can I get from him? No depth to how he obtained it, how much it cost him, why he is even offering it to you. And no real thought to what would happen if I didn't have it. In the same way as the teller at the bank is just business with Jesus for a lot of people. Love is spoken of, but just academically. Known of, but not experientially knowing the love of Christ. We make, we have the, the, the tendency to make Christianity about what I need to do to obtain what I want, what I think I need, and that's salvation. But the truth of the matter is, is that Christ has obtained it for you. As he was hanging on the cross and said, it is finished. And then he brings it to you and finds you by his great love. He came to you and saved you. And this is the glorious truth of Ephesians 2, 4, and 5. Look at Ephesians 2. Verses 4 and 5. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. But let's stop for a second. And let's consider verses 1, 2, and 3. And let's think for a minute. Well, let's, let's read them before I put this before you. Now look at verses 1, 2, and 3 of chapter 2. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, that is, the Satan himself, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. That was in you, Paul said. Among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath. Now if I were an apostle, and I wanted to write an encouraging letter to the church at Ephesus, and I, I wanted to, to stir them up to love one another, I don't know if I'd get so dark and dirty about their past in Ephesians 2, 1, 2, and 3. Like, why does he need to go there? He starts off the, he starts off the letter in a gloriousness, 
Right. He begins Ephesians with the blessings of, of being in Christ, the electing love of the father, the redeeming blood of the son on the cross, the working of the spirit to seal believers through hearing and believing the riches of the inheritance of the saints in Christ Jesus and the exaltation and power of Christ as the head of the church. And, you know, the Ephesians were like, yeah, let's go get it. And then Ephesians 2, 1, 2 and 3 happen. And you think. Why so negative, Paul? Why do you take it that way? Paul could have gone straight to just talking about the great love of God through Jesus Christ and skip verses 1, 2, and 3. But he didn't, obviously. And it was God who, who put these words in Paul for the Ephesian church to hear and for you and I to hear today. And why did he do that? And here's the crux of what I want to communicate to you this morning. The only way to see and comprehend God's great saving love and the riches of his mercy and grace which flow out of that great love, the only way to see and comprehend that is by understanding that you are worthy of nothing but hell. That's why he put that there. The only way to see and comprehend God's great saving love is to know that you are a sinner deserving an eternal hell. That's why he finishes verse 3. And you are by nature children of wrath. And if you're truly honest with yourself, and you measure the, your own goodness and righteousness to the true measure of God, you understand that you deserve not God's love, but God's justice. When you're honest with yourself and you see that you are on a highway to hell, Paul and notice this is all past tense in Ephesians 1, 2, and 3. That's really good news. It's past tense. This is who you once were. But God plucked you as you strutted down the highway to hell. And he pulled you out from that wretched path and set you on the narrow way that leads to life eternal. This is all past tense. He's communicating. This is who you once were. This is who you once were. He said it to the Corinthians in another way, right? After stating this to the Corinthians, I won't turn there, just hear me. He tells the Corinthians that the sexual immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will not inherit the kingdom of God. And you think, get him, Paul. And he says, and such were some of you. This is who you once were. But then Paul goes on to proclaim the great love of God in Jesus Christ. When he tells the Corinthians, but you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the spirit of God. And you might say, oh, I didn't hear the word love in there. I didn't. He didn't talk about love. My friend, if you do not comprehend the love of Christ in those words, 
the words that say you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, then I submit to you, you do not know the love of God in Jesus Christ. Because that is his expression of his love. His cleansing us of our own sin. His separating us from the wickedness of the world that we love so much. And counting us justified, pardoned of all sin, counted as righteous by the righteousness of Christ and seen before him through faith as justified in his sight. If you don't see the love of God in those words, it might be because you do not know the wickedness that lies within you as a sinner. Or maybe you don't understand God and his hatred of your sin. Because if you discount sin and God's anger towards it, then you discount his love. His love makes no sense if he does not hate sin. If you don't if you if you see sin as not a big deal, you cheapen the love of God in Jesus Christ. You when you have no fear of the wrath of God towards sin, then you are unmoved by the love of God through Jesus Christ to save you from that very judgment. When sin is no big deal, you ridicule Christ on the cross. For that is why he died. And he comes, Jesus comes into the world saying, I've not come for the righteous. I came for the unrighteous, the sinner. And so we can't sit in our pew and deny the fact that I am good. Now, that's, what got, um, that's what got the Wesley brothers thrown out on their tushes in London and throughout England. Because they came into a church and said, you are sinners. I am sinners. We need a savior. And they did not like it. And so they kicked him out on the street. And guess where they went? They went to go preach to the poor. They went and preached in the fields. And they heard the gospel. They heard of the love of God in Jesus Christ. And they, re they repented of their sins. And while the people in the churches continued on that wide path to destruction. Jesus says, I've not come for the righteous, but for the unrighteous. And he tells a group, unless you repent of your sins, you will likewise perish. If you're, any of this is true of you, unconcerned about sin or God's wrath, if you're unmoved by the love of God, you have two potential problems facing you. And number one, you cannot obey the command to love others as Christ has loved you. You cannot do the very thing you've been commanded to do. And if you're unconcerned about sin, God's wrath or unmoved by the love of God through the saving cross of Christ, it might be true that you do not know the love of God and you, as they were in, the, in, in front of J, uh, John and Charles Wesley, are still on the wide road headed to an eternal hell. The only way to fulfill paragraph four of our covenant is by and through the love of Christ. And if we are not a people who are filled 
with that love, then what good is our covenant, our commitment? What good is our efforts to try to love one another if we do not have the love of Christ? And the only way I know to make sure by the grace of God that the love of Christ in you is to preach to you and proclaim to you the dying death of Christ for your sin. To proclaim to you the gospel of Jesus Christ. To proclaim you the love of God through his crucifixion and his resurrected son. But the good news makes no sense, I'm sorry, unless you are convicted and convinced by the Spirit of God that before the love of God, you were, and I might be perhaps still, by nature, a child of wrath, as is mentioned in verse 3. Titus, in Titus, Paul says something similar to, to Titus, and he says, Apart from the saving love of God through Jesus Christ, we ourselves were once foolish. Notice past tense, though, still. Disobedient led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. And what do you think is the end result of that life? It is the same as those who do that, what is said in Ephesians 2, 1. A child of wrath, headed to the pit of hell where the worm never dies. Where the fires are never quenched. Where you continue to be hated by those who are there and you continue to hate others. There is no relief in hell from all eternity. Not even one drop of water to quench your thirst. Not one bit of comfort to relieve your tortured, tormented soul. And what do you think fears the fire of hell? The wrath of God. His anger towards the sinner. Hebrews says he is an all-consuming fire. His wrath is eternally being poured upon them, and there is no relief. I heard a, a, a preacher say last week, you've, how many of you have been in pain, like super bad pain? And you, you, But what hope do you have, more than likely, that you're going to get some relief from that pain? Medication, doctor's visit, a cast, you're going to get relief from that pain. A child of wrath will have no hope of relief. <laughs> Even if you were told that in a million years you would have relief, you would have hope. But it is an eternal punishment for sin against God with no relief, none whatsoever. And I know we hear that and we're like, oh, that can't be a good message to tell people. That's kind of cringeworthy. And that crosses even my mind. But when that thought that God's justice is a little too just and a little too harsh, when that crosses our mind, we must remember something. We need to stop and remember who we are talking about. We are talking about Yahweh, our creator, the giver and the keeper of life. We are talking about he who is pure Perfect, holy, unstained. He is good and righteous and all of his judgments are true. He is infinite in all these things. And when his creatures sin against an infinite God, we must realize that the justice is an eternal, infinite punishment. 
Verse 4. But God. Those two words are the hinge of which the, the door of wrath closes and the way of love opens. But God. But God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us. Don't you see? That makes no sense apart from verses 1, 2, and 3. It makes no sense. The, the, the quantity and the quality of the love of God does not make any sense apart from the quantity and the quality of the wrath and justice of God towards children of wrath. We receive the love of God through Jesus Christ only in the context of the wrath of God towards us as hell-deserving sinners. See, the gospel of Jesus Christ comes in and it shatters darkness. The gospel of Jesus Christ, its mercy, which comes from this great love, quenches the justice and satisfies the wrath. Its grace is what covers us in our failures in trying to be good. This is the love of God through Jesus Christ. His mercy. He makes us alive when we are dead in our sin and trespasses, making us alive together with Christ. And you say, how did he do it? Ephesians 5 verse 1. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us. How did he do it? And gave himself up for us. Chapter 5, verse 25. In the context of Paul teaching husbands how to love their wives. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. That he might sanctify her. Having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. What is he sanctifying and cleansing her from? The sin that dwells within her. Why? Verse 27. So that he might, Jesus might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing. And she might be holy and without blameless. And how did that happen? By his life, the giving of himself. His blood, his death. This is the love of God through Jesus Christ. The only way to be included in this, the only way to receive this great love, I might say to you, is by receiving the good news by faith, trusting in Him who died. And who rose from the dead. Who gave himself for you. Jesus came. Here's what Jesus said when he came. He didn't say hey. I know life's tough. I'm going to help you if you follow me. It's not what he said. Jesus came on the scene declaring his message. And commanding all sinners everywhere. To repent of their sins and believe the good news. Mark Chapter 1, Matthew, I believe it's chapter 4. And why? Because he finished that statement by saying, the kingdom of God is at hand. And you might think, well, that's good. Not if you're an enemy of the king, it is not good at all. Because when the king comes, he brings his justice, his judgment, and his wrath upon his enemies. 
So Jesus says, the good news is, I'm here. Believe in me. Repent of your sin. Escape the wrath of God. Be made alive in Christ through faith. You must do this, dear people. If you sit here today and you're concerned that you do not know the love of Christ, I want you to know today that it, that to, I want you to see, I've pleaded all week that you would see your sin, that you would see God's anger towards your sin, but then that he would reveal to you the love of Christ Jesus and him giving himself. And when you declare publicly and trust him, the wrath of God goes away. Believe in the good news that he came to squash the bad news. Turn to the Lord Jesus in faith and repentance today. Trust in him and be baptized into this body and commit yourself to the commit yourself to the church that Christ died for. That he gave himself up for. Be saved from the wrath that is to come. It is coming. For those, I'm going off my notes here. For those who are in Christ, do you know what happened to the wrath of God? It was put on his son. He wore it. He bore it. And by his stripes we are healed. That is the love of God through Jesus Christ to us. Now, I want you to go back this week and read 1 John 4 uh, and see, see the love of God through Jesus Christ to us. And then what should take place among us who know that? It's loving one another. Because he says, if you do not love one another, you do not know me. I do not abide in you and you do not abide in me. It begins with the love of God through Jesus Christ. And when that comes to us, it actually comes from us and to us and one another. Love one another. So the question remains, do you, this is for everybody, do you know the love of God? Has it been poured out into your hearts and that you delight in him and love him and like that woman Where much is forgiven, one loves much. You see, the bad news has to be there. Because he saves us from it. But if you're not sure, I will leave you with the fifth chapter of John. And just hear me as I read these few verses. For you who are unsure, if you know the love of God. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of Him. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. 
Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? You must believe. You must believe that Jesus is the Son of God. Died for your sins. Resurrected from the dead so that you might walk and follow in newness of life behind Him. We're going to sing a song here we've done before. Again, from Charles Wesley as he describes this new birth and believing and being transformed. The transforming love of God. The final verse in our hymn will say, Long my imprisoned spirit lay, fast bound in sin and nature's night. Thine eye diffused, God, a quickening ray. I woke, the dungeon flamed with light. My chains fell off and my heart was free. And I rose and went forth and I followed thee. Amazing love. How can it be that thou, my God, should die for me? Believe in the love of God through Jesus Christ on a dying cross. And be saved from the wrath of God and be transformed. And for you, church, I leave you with just, I want to reread the final paragraph of our covenant, church. And then read the first stanza from the hymn that I've already quoted, the love of God. So look again to the last paragraph on our covenant on the back of our bulletin. We further endeavor to love one another as Christ loves us. To pray for one another and come to the aid of the brethren in sickness and distress. We will work to cultivate Christian sympathy and feeling and Christian courtesy and speech. You know, the word, he used the word work. It takes work. To be slow to take offense but always ready for reconciliation and mindful of the rules of our Savior to secure it without delay. The first stanza of the love of God goes, The love of God is greater far than tongue or pen can ever tell. It goes beyond the highest star and reaches to the lowest hell. The wandering child is reconciled by God's beloved Son, the aching soul again made whole and priceless pardon won. Oh, love of God, how rich and pure, how measureless and strong. It shall forever endure the saints and angels' song. Let's pray. Teach us, O Lord, your love that cannot be known through simple knowledge. Help us to comprehend the height, the depth, the breadth, and the width of the love of Christ Jesus. That we might know and be filled with the fullness of God. And to love one another as we have been loved. By your son. Please bring. Please God. Bring heavy burden. Upon those who have not. Known your love. 
and might your the richness of your mercy and grace pour forth from it in revealing to them the beauty and glory of a dying but resurrected Jesus. Transform hearts this moment by the love of Christ. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.